Do me one quick favor just before you get started in this episode of the podcast, and that is just to follow, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. It really does make a difference when you do that. So thank you so much. Also, don't forget to sign up to The Game Plan, which is a weekly email that I send out every Friday that gives you one idea on your confidence, resilience, and perspective that you can implement in your sport, life, and much more. So just head over to lewishatchett.com forward slash the dash game dash plan to join us right now. The link is in the description of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I first started taking Athletic Greens when they initially launched their first iteration of AG1. Now I think they're on something like their 54th iteration because they have not stopped developing and they have no compromise in the quality of this product. It has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source foods, probiotics, and adaptogens that is great for your gut health, nervous system, immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. I was taking vitamin pills to begin with, and I took them when I was a professional, and I was looking to go back into them, but then I thought, you know what, I'm going to get back into taking Athletic Greens because I know they are at the top of the food chain, literally, when it comes to vitamins and minerals, and I felt great taking it. I actually now look forward to that mild tropical taste when I'm taking the shake and the drink in the morning. So if you want to get started and start supporting your immune system, getting more vitamins and minerals into your diet because our nutritionist athletes is super important, then they are offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and also five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you've got to do to grab a hold of this offer is head over to athleticgreens.com forward slash RYG. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash RYG to grab a hold of it today. I promise you, you will not regret it. This is something that I enjoy taking. I trust it implicitly and over 7,000 five-star reviews have been put forward for Athletic Greens. They are recommended by professional athletes and trusted health experts around the globe. So grab a hold of this offer today. Welcome to the Raising Your Game podcast, a show where I bring to you the stories, insights, and ideas from the world of sport to help improve your well-being and performance, both body and mind. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Lewis Hatchett, and in this episode, I am joined by the incredible Kath Koshal. Now, if you have never come across Kath, I encourage you to head straight to Google right now and type in her name. That's Kath and then K-O-S-C-H-E-L. You will not be disappointed. Her story is unreal. She was a professional cricketer that had her career cut short through breaking her back. But following that, she then broke it again when she was hit on her bike by a drunk driver. Faced with the rehabilitation of coming back and the possibility of being in a wheelchair, she managed to bring herself back to health, but then lost her partner through suicide. She's fought off a tumour and then started as one of Australia's youngest CEOs, the non-for-profit The Kindness Factory. And that is the topic of this podcast, Kindness. And it's an incredible episode because Kath has traveled around the world speaking to some of the most famous people you could think of, from the Obamas to the Dalai Lama. And she travels the world 
speaking to schools, teams, organizations, spreading the message of kindness. And we need it more than ever right now with everything that's going on in the world. This is such an important message. We go into how she had been unkind to herself and how we are unkind to ourselves and what we can do in order to bring more kindness into our lives and the importance of it and much, much more. This is such an important podcast, which I felt so energized by the end of it. And I wish I had Kath for even longer than I got her. I know I had more questions at the end just through what was coming up. And I'm sure you will at the end. And I really do hope that we're able to get her back in the future. But this is a episode that you will get something out of. And not only that, you can spread the message of kindness and learn how to be more kind to yourself and those around you. So without any hesitation, I give the incredible Kath Koshal. Enjoy. Let's get going, Kath. Um, thank you so much for, for joining the podcast. Thank I'm, you I'm super me. excited. I, I didn't actually ask you, where are you in the world right now? Because you've been traveling around. Like, where, where are you right now? I'm home. I got home today uh, after a month of travel. So I've come via Melbourne, via Perth, via Miami, via Washington, D.C. So it's been a month on the road of speaking and and lots of different events and and meetings and and talking to like-minded people and things like that but um back home in sydney in the northern beaches so um i've got i've got a week to get my my washing sorted and then it's back on the road i was saying to a friend of mine it's now like what we're in october it's about now i get the biggest fomo i ever experienced because i've got my whatsapp group of my my cricket team in adelaide that is pinging and they're all going to games and I'm like, in England, it's getting it's getting darker in the mornings, it's getting d- darker earlier in the evenings, it's getting colder and oh, it's the most FOMO I experience in my life. So I have to really channel everything I possibly can right now because I know it's heating up where you are. Um, yeah. But yeah, have you, have you always been in Sydney? Uh, I, I guess let's lead in with a little bit of like your early background, like where you're from how you got into sport and then we'll, we'll sort of go from there. So start wherever you want to start on that journey. Yeah, I guess my 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 youngest and, and most fondest memories are spending time where my dad's from in, in country, New South Wales. So uh, my dad was a cop. He was a cop for 40 years. He's now retired, but spent a long time serving in the police force. And I guess a home was in Sydney, but um, my fondest memories are in the backyard playing cricket with my, I've got three older brothers, so I'm the youngest and, and only girl. So playing cricket in the backyard with my brothers in Finley and and, um, you know, in a, a town like Finley, it's, um, you know, population 1,500. There's no Wi-Fi and computers and all that kind of stuff there. So you really just start to connect with the land and, um, you know, it, being active is the way that you entertain yourself. So there's a swimming pool, a couple of fish and chip shops and an RSL club in Finley. And, you know, if I wasn't in the pool, then I was playing cricket in the backyard with my brothers or hitting a tennis ball up against a brick wall in the school across the road and things like that. So, um, I fell in love with the game um, very early, and I think it was due to my dad and, and brother's influence. So they weren't as obsessed with cricket as what I was, but um, I just loved it. Hey, I think um, someone always, like, whatever I sort of say, how much I love cricket and sport in general, people say, you know, why cricket? And I can never articulate exactly what's so special about the game. Like um, I think if you know, you know, because you've played and all that kind of stuff. But the only thing I can really say is, there's nothing like 
you know, I, I'm not, we talk about mindfulness and things like that. And I think a, a lot of the time it's so often associated with people downloading expensive apps and having, you know, calming music in the background and, and, and that's completely fine and okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And, but for me, it doesn't do the trick, but there was nothing like stepping out onto that field or on the right side of the rope, as in the inside of the the playing arena um, with, you know, 10 of your best mates um, that was like a family and, and just having a bit of fun, but also competing against the other team that you're playing against and your triumphs are your team's triumphs and and same as your failures, you're sharing those as well. And I just loved it. And that was my greatest form of med- uh, meditation. I always felt like I never had anywhere more important to be than when I was playing cricket. Um, and there's never any place that I would prefer to have been either, be it um, in a professional or personal capacity. So um, I just loved it. My my mind would always stop still and, and time would stop still when I was playing on, on, on the field. And, um, yeah, very, very young age, I fell in love with it, um, just with my brothers and then obviously went on to, to play in competitions and things like that, which was fun too. I think the thing about cricket for me, like we on our pre-start of the podcast chat just before we met each other there, you spoke about how, you're kind of not really involved in the game, but your connections to the game are through your friendships. I think that's yeah. its unique thing. Like I've had, if I think about even regard, well, every team I've played in, I've essentially played in four teams in my life. And that's that's cl- three club teams and then one professional team. And I regard the fact that I have friendship groups or people in those community, each of those teams that I now have probably, well, I know I will have friendships for life through those. And it's the sport, it's not like a football match where you turn up, and I'm saying football, not Aussie rules football, our football, soccer football. Okay. Um, is that like, yeah, over 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 here, it's like a 90-minute game, right? So you turn up, you might turn up at, say, 1 o'clock for the game, but then you'll leave at maybe 5, 6 o'clock, or maybe if you stay later. But cricket, you're there from, I mean, when you're playing a game in, in Australia or you're playing a first-class match, you're you're pretty much there at no, 8, 9 in the morning and then you leave, well, you can be leaving the bar at whenever you want, really, and it's an all-day thing, right? So yeah. it's just the, the time with people. It has its good and bad parts, but it's just time with people and I think that's the, the real cool part of it. It's just a community. It's real team feeling, like everyone's in it, as well as the actual sport itself being challenging on many different fronts, both technically, mentally, physically there's a lot going on and i i think that for me is why it's a, it's a unique sport it, it requires so many different assets of you that as well are really transferable into life do, do you draw upon a lot of the skills and or have you maybe had time to reflect on some of the skill sets and pers- traits that you've had when you were playing that you can now use in what you're doing now? Yeah, I don't think they've ever been conscious, um, but absolutely, if I was to reflect back now, just I think even, you know, we mentioned in the pre-chat, um, it, cricket's not something that I've ever failed to love, even post-career uh, ending injuries and things like that. Um, however, um, I'd, I'd, what I probably had in passion and love for the game, I I lacked in skill, so I wasn't a naturally gifted player by any stretch, um, and I had that many knockbacks and um, never picked for selection and all those sorts of things. But um, I guess that sort of instilled a grittiness in me. Um, and again, being from the bush and things like that, you, you sort of have that grittiness about you. But um, I really had to have a lot of 
you know, uh, there was a lot of stubborn kind of conversations that I had and a lot of with myself more so to go, what do you want? Like, is this what you want? Because it is, you're going to have to really work hard for this. And I think in, you know, starting any business, um, I've now got a, a global kind of not-for-profit that operates in three countries. You need to have that kind of grit and and that stubborn nature about you um, to fight for what you believe in as well, I think. And so um, I dare say that's one of the biggest things I've gotten out of that, but also to be passionate about everything that you do. So for me, the reward of, you know, debuting for my state, for example, or playing in the UK for Middlesex and things like that, um, they were some of the most euphoric feelings in my life. And I don't think it's necessarily 100% because of the prestige that comes with that, you know, saying that you represented your state or a county or something like that. I I think it's because of the hard work that it took to get there, to be honest, that made it yeah. such a rewarding experience for me. And um, and I'll forever be grateful for that, um, that, you know, I never gave up and I didn't have the, well, what if I had done this? Or what if I had, you know, chosen that? I, you know, I, I, I went hard at it and... With that comes some really good things, but also some of it was the detriment of my health, of course, and um, and all those sorts of things. But I wouldn't wouldn't change any of it. It's 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 amazing, isn't it? Like I've, I'm very very similar. Your story, especially with how your career ended, resonates with me. Very very similar. We, I think, just past when you finish your career and you look back, you're like, there's a very easy moment when you're transitioning. Like the what ifs come in. Oh, what if I'd done that? Maybe if I'd done this differently. And and I'm a big believer in it's natural to have those and, and you should feel them because if you disregard them, if you disregard those negative feelings that are cropping up, then it could manifest itself in a multitude of ways. It could be an obsession and addiction. It could be anger. It could be resentment. It could be whatever. And that's just that's just painful to hide. I'd far rather get rid of that internally than, than, than not. And uh, I'm interested to know, like, during your transition out of the sport, where you were what were you sort of going through uh, i've i've worked with and have come across and know a lot of athletes that have transitioned out of the sport was it a easy thing what where was your your mind at and in that period yeah i guess um my story is probably a little bit different to most in that it was a very quick and sudden kind of um injury that that prevented me from from playing any further so it wasn't something that um I ever could have comprehended was coming. And I was very young at the time as well. So I think I was 24 when I broke my back playing cricket um, and having such a significant injury, you sort of get thrown into this catastrophic um, several months of obviously a lot of surgery. Um, and and for me, I guess the added complexity of, of living with a disability came as well. So it was not only this dream that I'd had of, you know, wanting to play cricket, for, for New South Wales and um and beyond that if, if it had occur had have occurred if the trajectory didn't change um I was now dealing with you know life in a wheelchair never going to walk again can't feel anything below my waist and all those sorts of things so I think there were a lot of complexities in my transition out of the game but if I can try and recall or call on some of the ones I think might resonate with others that have gone through a, an experience it was a loss of identity um mm the most part so um it, you know I, for so long or for my entire life since I was a little girl since I was eight I'd I'd wanted to be a cricketer like it, it, I was just obsessed with the idea I loved it I loved playing with my mates I love the mateship I love the companionship as I mentioned earlier there's something so special about the game and when you sort of lose the ability to play um I feel like I lost part of myself or I felt like I did. I've since over, overcome that and processed that properly. But 
at the time, you know, the only thing that I thought uh, that that was interesting about me, or that I was good at, or that um, that I even wanted to do was was to play cricket. And I guess it's a very one dimensional and dangerous way of viewing yourself, right? There are so many facets to all of us that make us so beautiful and interesting and wonderful um, and unique. And um, I often say to kids that I speak to, you know, um, we're all so uniquely beautiful, like boys, girls, whomever. Not beautiful in that we're in the cover of a magazine or anything like that, but we're we're all individual and we are all different. And and think about this for a second: the world would be a very very boring place if we all looked the same or behaved the same or had the same ideas and all. You know, the thing that makes life so incredible is that we all have different experiences that shape us into the people that we are, and we can learn and grow with each other at any given time. And so, when I sort of suffered that injury, um, I remember going through a rehab process, which felt incredibly lonely at times because, you know, here I am trying to walk again and my mates are out playing for Australia. Um, and and I felt so happy and euphoric for them. But also at the same time, I was just like, just I, I just wish I could be out there with them doing the same thing and and sharing in the the laughter and sharing in the the triumph of of whatever they were doing and things like that. Um, so it was a it was a tough experience and. I'll never forget, you know, the first summer um, uh, here in Australia when I, you know, was no longer a cricketer and I thought, you know, it'll be okay. I wonder what, like, you know, non-athlete or non-cricketers do in the summer and, you know, you see it all on people's social media and and the TV, they're out there going to the beach and putting the suntan lotion on and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, beauty, I'll, I'll pack a towel, I'll pack an umbrella and I'll off to the beach I go in, you know, October and, um I was driving my way towards and I was like, well, I'll call people to meet them there and tell them, tell them to meet me at the beach. And as I went through my call list of all my closest friends who I would have wanted to have been at the beach with, I got that kind of reality hit where I was like, well, they're all out on the cricket field. They won't even be able to answer me. They'll be fielding or batting or or doing something. So I can't even enjoy the beach with my mates because not only like my world had become so small and insular that, you know, my friendship groups were all in cricket and I hadn't branched out and met different people when I was at uni studying, for example, because I was always having to be at training or at my part-time job or whatever it was in addition to studying, I sort of told myself I didn't need new friends at uni. So I won't sort of open myself up to friendships at uni because I've got so many good friends that I'm going to be training with later or playing a game with on the weekend and all those sorts of things. And as an athlete, you can make your world very small and and very insular, and um, I think that's a danger for 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 any athlete out there, not just necessarily with cricket. Um, is that we're we're more than our sport, and we're more than being an athlete. Um, I've done a lot of work with a, a LeBron James's company in in the US called Uninterrupted, and their entire identity as an organization or their slogan is uh, more than an athlete, more and. Than an athlete, and yeah. Yeah, um, and, and I love the work that they do in breaking down that for athletes in that, yes, you get paid to do this and, yes, you're very good and it's what everyone tells you that you're interesting for, but there's more to you. You're a, you know, you're a dad or you're a brother or you're a son or um, a sister or whatever it is that you're doing um, and, you know, um, you're great at cooking and um, you love going for walks and um, you love singing or whatever it is. I think there's it's so important for us to... To, to be more than than our sport when we're when we're athletes and I learned that the hard way um in every way in that um I've now got a, a hugely balanced life in that I've got a great job that I love that I'm really passionate about I've got great friends from all walks of life um that have very different and unique experiences and um I'm still able to stay in touch with with my friends from cricket my best friend still plays all that kind of stuff but um certainly learned the hard way that we need to be a bit more multifaceted as, as athletes and 
And we always think, um, you know, I've done heap of work with with rookie athletes as well in sharing my story with them, um, not as a warning, but more so to say, like, this, this it, it's a reality. It can happen to everyone. We, we always think that we're invincible, don't we, that mm. that will never happen to me. I'll never break my back or I'll never, you know, get injured or I'll never suffer loss or but it happens um, to the to, to all of us, um, and and it, it could be you. Um, and all you got to do is put a foot wrong, and you know something can happen in life. And it doesn't have to be that it, we're at fault. It just means that that's just part of life, and and we all suffer adversity at certain points. So um, it happened to me, and and I, I learned the hard way that um, I probably should have been doing the work a little bit earlier, <laughs> not in case, just it's a healthy way. Also, this episode is sponsored by Sport Yogi. If you've been listening to this podcast a while, you will know how much yoga has played a part of my life and also meditation. But getting into it was really difficult for me. I struggled with adjusting to the idea of doing yoga and I didn't feel it connected with me as an athlete. That's why we started Sport Yogi. And not only that, we have now launched Sport Yogi mats and blocks because the first step of practicing and looking after your physical and mental health is getting on the mat. So I wanted to create a good quality mat for you as an athlete. If you're like me and you sweat a lot and when you get on the mat, you sometimes lose your grip, this is where the Sport Yogi mat helps you with that. The more you sweat, the more this mat grips. They've arrived and I'm super excited by them. I've given them a go and I'm so happy with the grip that you get and also the blocks are made of a slightly more durable foam. So they're not squishy, they're super light, so you can travel around with them, but they're solid and supportive for those athletes who are a little bit stronger and also want that extra bit of support. So you can use them for your meditation, you can use them for your yoga practice, but mainly the mats are just a thing of beauty. Just being able to grip so that you can get deeper into those stretches, you can just spend your time on the mat with no worries that you're going to slip, slide all over the place. And not only that, this is designed for you as an athlete. This is for you who are wanting to take care of your physical health, your mental health, and they are just here for you. So if you want to get a hold of the launch price, which is at a reduced rate, then head over to sportyogi.com forward slash shop. That's sportyogi.com forward slash shop to take care of this limited time offer. And there is only a limited amount of these mats. So if you or someone you know is looking to get into yoga meditation and they need something to drive them and force them onto the mat, brand new mat could be just the thing for them. So go and head over to sportyogi.com forward slash shop today. I'm interested to know what you learn about yourself during... Well, because you've had so many both physical, emotional moments and traumas that have happened throughout your life. But even with, let's take the loss of your cricket career, that's a trauma in in some shape or form. I'm curious to know about what you've learned about yourself now that you lean on that's a really positive attribute having come out of those experiences. Something that maybe you didn't know, you weren't maybe paying attention to yourself that you kind of see as a strength now in your life yeah i would say um self-acceptance um is, has been one of the biggest things that has allowed me um 
I guess, to do what I'm doing now, to be the person that I am now, um, but also to have overcome the things that I have. And I think without self-awareness in that picture, you can't really have self-acceptance. And so I think it's important for all of us, adversity or not, challenge or not, suffering or not, whatever it is, that um, we can always afford to do a bit of an internal scan on ourselves. You know, how am I going today? Did I act in accordance of the person who I am? Do I even know who I am? Like, what are my top five values, for example? And it's an exercise that I do with a lot of my clients is for us to be speaking in front of a room full of, say, 100 people. And I was to say to them, raise your hand, honestly. Do you know what your top five values are as a person? And there's never more than, say, two people out of 100, so 2% of that room that would know who they are really. And and that's not that's nothing to be ashamed of because prior to me actually going through any of my struggles, I had no idea who I was outside of a cricketer. Um, and it's a really easy exercise to go through. You just go onto Google and type in personal values and all sorts of things will pop up. And so for me, those things are like, obviously, will be no shock to you, but kindness is a big one to myself and to others. And so is gratitude and so is humour. I use humour a lot. Sometimes people perceive it to be as inappropriate, but I use it as a coping mechanism a lot of the time so that I can get through the hour that I need to get through, but then I can process later and go back to it and all those sorts of things. And and the reason I ask a lot of my clients to do that is because if we don't know who we are, how can we ever think that we're going to overcome a challenge? Because we don't really know what makes us tick. Um, and so for me going through the multiple adversities that I did, again, um, it was learn, review, learn, review, learn, review for me because they just the hits just kept coming. And so when I went through my first broken back and loss of a cricket career and things like that, I was sort of floundering around going, well, how am I going to figure this out? I better get a job. I I didn't really know how to cope um, with the, the multitude of different things that kept popping up into my life. And the more I went through, the more self-awareness I started to find. Well, you know, I've been through three significant adversities when I get to the fourth one. What worked the first time? It was this. What worked the second time? It was a combination yeah. of this. What what worked the third time? And so thankfully for me, again, not, you know, I'm, I am kind of grateful for my life in that I've probably learned more about myself through my adversities um, than I would have if I hadn't have gone through them. And, you know, I, I, I don't wish that a lot of them happened, but I am glad that I've taken those learnings forward and that I've put them into something or channeled them into something that I'm, I'm proud to lead now. So, and, and I guess my job now is to sort of you know, none of us are ever going to, I don't need to tell you this, you've you've been through your own stuff, but none of us are ever going to go through life without suffering to some degree or going through some significant life-changing circumstance or adversity. Um, but we don't have to wait for those moments to happen before we start to implement some of the strategies that can make us better people always. So sort of always say to people, um, it's not a warning, but why not do the work now when you've you've got the, the mental capacity um, to be able to do it so that if you do suffer that adversity, well, not if, when you do, um, or the next time it happens, that you've got a bit of that self-awareness um, to know and understand what makes you tick and, and what might make things easier for you. So I dare say that's my my biggest learning from from all of the things that I've been through is to have that level of understanding of self. I use uh, a bit of an exercise with clients I work with and, and it, I'm exactly on that same page and say I go through that same process what are your values who are you what are you about who do you want to be as a person but also when they're going through a tough period or if they can envisage going through a tough period because let's say as an athlete it's quite easy that you're going to get injured right you're going to face an injury whether it's your own fault or, or not right it just stuff happens 
But one of the questions I ask people is like, who do you want to be in that moment that when you look back on it in, say, a year's time, you're proud of how you handled it? And then usually they get to the answers of how they want to, to go around that, that situation, that scenario. And, and then maybe they can draw upon that same thing. Well, I was actually really proud of myself in the past of how I did this, this and this. Or maybe I, I didn't do this when adversity happened and I, I've learned that that's the thing I want to do. Great. I've got the awareness of I want to do that in the future. I really loved that whole idea of doing something before the precipice or the crisis happens. And I listened to a podcast you'd done and the story you told of a business, a CEO or a business guy that came to you and said like, look, Kath, I've, I've had a pretty easy ride, but I don't believe it's, I have to go through an adversity to start doing something. So what can I do? Can you t- talk about that story just real quick? It's, it's a really fascinating story, especially on this concept of not having to wait to go through an adversity in order to find the tools and the, the ways of coming out of one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's a very, a very dear friend of mine who's actually a, a director uh, or sits on our advisory board at, at Kindness Factory. And nice. um, I guess for the most part, you know, as I travel the world speaking and sharing my story, you know, for every one story I tell, I reckon I hear at least 100 more because people resonate with that. And, and it's a huge privilege. Absolutely, it is. And for the most part, people resonate with my story because they have gone through something significant, be it the loss of someone or um, a career-ending injury or any kind of injury. Or, you know, there are so many facets I think through my own story that that people can resonate with, and so that's a, a great response. And I, I love the fact that people feel comfortable enough to share back with me. And this one in particular, it was really interesting because you know I uh, I don't want to mention his name without his permission, uh, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind. But I, I won't just in case. Um, you know, I'd spent, you know, as a sports administrator, which is what I did post-injury, um, but prior to to leading Kindness Factory, which I do now and speaking, but I'd spent, you know, seven years as a sports administrator in cricket operations, so running events and, and games around the country. And um, he was in a very senior leadership, sort of an executive role at Cricket Australia at this point in time. And so, you know, I guess hierarchically, I had a lot of respect for him. And then it wasn't till sort of three years post that career that I, you know, started speaking and doing more that I got approached by Cricket Australia to come and deliver a keynote about kindness and purpose and and giving back and and self-kindness and all those sorts of things. And he sat in the audience and obviously I've respected this man for a long time. He was always very kind to me and, uh, but hadn't really had too many touch points. And, and you know, inbox messages start firing after every keynote that I deliver and and one of them was from him just saying you know I, we'd, we'd spent the best part of seven years sort of working inadvertently together and I had no idea I knew I'd heard your story but I had no idea the complexities and the struggles that existed within that and he said next time you're in town could you let me know he lives in a different state I said of course and I did and we ended up having a coffee and and he said look um, I don't want to be presumptuous or anything like that but I was wondering how I could help and I sort of looked at him. I said, well, there are many ways you could help. You could log an act of kindness. We're trying to get it, you know, at that point, we're trying to get to a million and all this kind of stuff. And and I said, but if you wanted to help in a more, in a, in a deeper way, I think your experience would add a lot of that, a value in you know, sort of like an advisory panel or a directorship or something like that in a voluntary way. And I said, if, if you don't mind me asking, what's compelled you to reach out? And he said, I guess sitting in that keynote, many people must take many things from you because it's incredible. But what I took is that for the most part, my life's been very privileged. I've never gone through any kind of 
suffering in any way, touch wood. I've never had to, you know, wonder where my next meal's coming from. My parents always provided for me. I went to a great school. I had great mates. I've got a great wife. I've got great kids. Um, and I think what I learned was a lot of perspective in hearing you speak, but also that I'm very fortunate and privileged and why wait? And I was just like, mm. I kind of sat there and it was, it was quite a profound moment for me because for so long I'd been hearing from so many people who were just in crisis or suffering and, and I was so glad to be able to help them. And I was just like, well, here it is, a perfect example of someone just wanting to spring into action. My favourite quote, and it's a quote my dad gave me that I hung above my bed when I was a kid, it's, it's the world is changed by your example, not by your opinion. Uh, and I love it because wow. there's so many people that have great ideas or great thoughts yeah. on how they want to change the world or change this person or do this or climb a mountain, write a book, all that kind of stuff, but no one actually does it. And so that quote always resonated with me. It's, it's more important to try or to do something than to think about doing it um, because, yeah, an idea is only going to stay an idea unless you start to act on it. And um, that kind of it, it took me back to that moment with my dad, with him, and, you know, kind of a, a full circle moment that that same man only two years later um had a very traumatic experience with his son um where his son went through a, a very near-death experience and um I was so glad that I could help him in that way as well like when he you know rang me to tell me he couldn't make the board meeting and it was because of this it's giving me goosebumps now it was really nice to go wow so it, it does happen to all of us and um thankfully for him you know he'd He'd done a lot of the work and the self-reflection prior to that to be able to go, I can cope. I want to be the strong person that I need to be for my son right now and for my family and and to provide emotionally, not necessarily just financially in, in these moments. So it was a really great moment um, that, that I was able to share with him throughout, you know, that process, but to support him back when he'd supported the movement and all that kind of stuff as well. But, um, yeah, to, we don't have to wait. We don't, like, yeah. even from a goal-setting perspective, like, you so often hear about the people who, you know, get the cancer diagnosis or they get in a car accident or whatever, and they're the ones that decide to climb a mountain or write a book or, um, you know, jump out of an airplane because they consider that life's too short because they've had this, you know, profound experience. And we don't have to wait for that. Um, we just need to give ourselves permission to, to be a bit kinder to ourselves, I think, sometimes. Um, and I think so often, you know, purpose it's such a it's such an overcomplicated concept for so many different people. But I think when we're aligned to something bigger than ourselves, again, adversity becomes so much easier to manage as well because we know that we're fighting towards something, not just existing. Um, and so there's some of the common things that keep popping up through conversations like that one as well. Yeah, that, that's such a, an amazing story. And I, I really hope that inspires a lot of people that especially have feel probably feel that I, I can't really figure out whether whether the adversity is in my life i also do believe that we have whether it's the scale of those adversities could be different it could be something as simple as someone at school telling you you weren't good enough to do something or you didn't get yeah. the grades right but we forget that and and you can lean on that and and it, and the meaning we put behind those experiences is really important to remember and go back to i, I really want to now go into kindness and the and the kindness factory but kind of leading into that i'm interested to know when was a moment or a period of your life where you were unkind to yourself yeah um i think many times you know um without going into my story too much because i don't want to like give the bait and then people um but there's so many i guess experiences where you can um sort of Google my name and look up my story and things. But in 2012, I lost my partner um, to suicide. And um, 
no grief is ever easy. It's something that I've learned throughout the last sort of 10 years of my life. But the added complexities of of the mental health struggle at play and and I guess the the nature in which he passed, um, it really tortured me for a good you know, you never it never leaves you. Grief never leaves you. It just gets a little bit easier day by day and time's a great healer. And I think for 10 months after his passing, um, I wasn't necessarily directly unkind to myself, but you know, in searching for the unknown that you always have in a in a suicide, I probably had a little bit of pent-up anger toward myself, not not to my partner. Um which, which is, I've learned is a very uncommon response. You know, a lot, a lot of people sort of say to me, you must be angry at him. And anger is not something that I felt toward him. It was, it was a lot to myself. And I was very unkind in that I probably judged, why didn't I do enough? Why didn't I see the warning signs? Why didn't, you know, and, and it was just torture for, for 10 months. And, and I had to, to try and find a way to let that go and not necessarily let him go, but let the experience of how he passed in that circumstance go in that, um, you know, we never truly know what a person's going through, um, even if they are your everything and they are your person and all those sorts of things. And, um, you know, I neglected a lot of things. So I avoided all kind of conversation around him, his passing, um, the grief that I was suffering and avoidance was my only coping me- coping mechanism at that point. Um, and I just didn't allow any self-compassion or any kind of kindness towards myself. And, um, it wasn't until I connected with a great therapist who really allowed me to see how um, unkind I was being toward myself, really, in that, and it's a great question that, you know, I guess it's a common question that may have popped up, and I dare say you would have, you know, heard this many times, but, you know, a therapist gives you that kind of bird's eye view of yourself that you can't seem to have when, you have, yeah. when, you, when you're doing a self-inventory because when you're ruminating in your own head, there's a great saying, it's that you learn how you feel when you say it out loud. And I've, I've found that absolutely to be true because if you're, wow. you're in a dialogue, you don't even finish your sentences. You're like, oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. You're not good enough, all that kind of stuff. Whereas if you're saying that out loud, it's like, wow, why am I talking to myself that way? And a therapist said to me, Kath, um, in a very non-judgmental way, she was like, let's say that this was your friend going through this loss and, and all those sorts of things and you heard them saying the things that you're saying out loud now. No judgment. If you believe that these are true, then that's okay. We'll, we'll work through that. But if this was your best friend sitting in this seat right here and she was telling you about the experiences she'd just been through, how would you respond? Not as a therapist, as a friend. And I'd say, and 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 immediately I was like, oh, I would absolutely tell her that, you know, that's not the case and um and that she deserves some compassion and that this is not her fault and all this kind of stuff. And she's just like, okay. Um, sort of like got that half slice sort of smile on her face going, Can you see why you're probably being a little bit unkind to yourself right now? Because you know, when you take that removed step back, you can actually say, well, no, that's not fair. That's not a fair reflection of the situation. She she couldn't have seen it. Like, there's no way. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. it was a great thing for me to be able to do to go, well, if I wouldn't expect this from someone else, why am I expecting it out of myself? And if I'm, you know, I wouldn't, I, if a friend said that out loud to me, I would just cuddle the hell out of them. Like, I would just wrap them in my arms and, and I wouldn't let them go until they told me otherwise. And um, I think that, you know, so often where, especially in Australia, and I know I've lived in the UK as well, we can be so hard on ourselves and 
here in Australia, we call, you know, tall poppy syndrome. Um, we don't want to get too of an ego. And, and and I know that in the UK, it's the same thing. I, like, I think there are some very big similarities culturally in that respect. And yeah, we, we never afford ourselves the compassion or kindness that we truly deserve, I don't think. And, um, you know, part of my, my talks now that I give to corporates and school kids, you know, whenever we get onto a plane, what's the first message that we hear? It's the safety message in case of an emergency oxygen masks will fall down from the ceiling, put yours on first before helping others. And 10 years ago, I would have said, there's no way I would do that. If I had my, you know, eight-year-old nephew next to me or someone less able, I would absolutely put their oxygen mask on first. And the more I've grown and learned as an adult um, is that we, we can't help others unless we've helped ourselves first. And um, and that that requires radical self-acceptance and, and radical kindness as well. And I'm not talking huge things. I'm talking, you know, getting your favorite coffee or whatever yeah. kindness looks like to you or patting a dog or kissing your spouse or telling them that you love them or you know kindness looks so different to all of us um and and it doesn't it can be a very unique approach or a unique experience in that sense and um the best thing that you can always do is is look after yourself first because we can't look after others and unless we've looked after ourselves first and and that's a way that I am able to practice more kindness towards others is is absolutely looking after myself and and being kind to myself in the process as well yeah, thank thank you for sharing that and, and I'm actually really glad you brought up the tall poppy syndrome because I actually had that down as something I really wanted to talk to you about because of that exact same thing like I've been in the UK I live in the UK I've lived in in Australia and the cultural similarities are they're so close we we love tearing the the tall poppy down we just love it uh, my team they won't mind me saying this is that the, the group of mates that i've got out there they regard themselves as the wing clippers so it's like if you start getting your wings you get clipped to bring you back down and it's that's the whole idea and it, and there, look there is some there are some good parts to that because it humbles you it keeps you grounded yeah. it doesn't make you be, carry away with arrogance and things like that but there are some negative parts to it because I was really shocked at when I left the UK, I knew that there was a mental health pandemic or epidemic in itself growing here. Like it was bubbling under surface. This is pre-pandemic before it got sort of skyrocketed. And then when I came over to Australia, a load of my friends in the UK were like, well, well, um, surely they they are just loving life. Like everyone's got a vest on, they're at the beach, they got a they got a cat. They got a beer, they're surfing, it's awesome, right? And then I was in charge of 80 young kids ranging from 11 to, to 18. And I, it blew me away at how similar the mental health issues were. And it mm -hmm. came from the fact that they were genuinely being unkind to themselves. They were genuinely being so harsh on themselves at all times. And then when they kind of went to their groups, there's this kind of, yeah, tall poppy syndrome and and... and she'll be all right and and everything a lot in between that of trying to level that person out and i'm i'm interested to see and hear what you're seeing as common ways at the moment that are currently in the environments we're in because it's very ever changing that are maybe similarities or ways in which people are being unkind to themselves and maybe some of the causes what you think maybe the causes are of this this unkindness to ourselves yeah i mean i <laughs> If I had to say one thing, I would say technology, um, which right. I guess is a bit of an umbrella term. To there are so many wonderful things about technology. Don't get me wrong. Like I think throughout COVID, we saw, you know, how good was FaceTime? Um, you know, we, we can't yeah. connect, but we can actually FaceTime. And you know, I lived abroad twelve years ago in in the UK, and 
you know, I think it was Skype only and you'd probably make the appointment a week prior, whereas in lockdown it was like <laughs> I was probably speaking to people more than I would without COVID, do you know what I mean? Like because I had more time on my hands, I could FaceTime them and everyone was making it a priority. So there's so many wonderful things that technology have, has given us. Um, but also I think social media is an umbrella term of technology. Within that exists social media and, um, you know, I often say to a lot of people, I'm about ready to, ready to get rid of it, but it's a great work vehicle for me. Uh, and I probably use that too much as, a, as an excuse, to be honest, because I found myself even throughout COVID, um, sort of, you, you know, how many apps are on social media on your phone? You got Instagram, you got Facebook, you got LinkedIn, you got um, what else is there? There's TikTok. I'm not on. There's TikTok, there's Snapchat, there's you got there's everything, right? Um, so if you were to think, or oh, WhatsApp, like all these sort of apps that are on our phone, and I'm only on three of them. So I'm on say, oh, there's Twitter as well, obviously. So um, yep. let's say it was Instagram's probably my favorite. So I'll open Instagram and I'm like, oh, okay, and I'll scroll through. Oh, this person's doing that. That's great. And it's everyone's highlight reel. So it's all very like, I'm doing this and um, this happened and all this kind of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. So you scroll through that and it might take you 10 minutes to get your feed updated to where you were last time. And then you go, okay, so you close that up and then you open up your Facebook and you're like, oh, this person's doing that and this person's doing that. And Johnny's up to this and Bill's up to that. Okay, I'm finished on Facebook. I'm up to date. Right, now I'm going to go onto Twitter. What's everyone saying here? What's the commentary, which is can be very unkind Twitter scrolling through, scrolling through, scroll. okay, I'm up to down that, I'll go on to LinkedIn, cool, doing the same thing, I'm up to date, oh, okay, that's taken me half an hour, well, it's probably about time to refresh my Instagram, I'll go back to that, and it just ends up doing yeah. this like, new cycle, yes. right, which is so bad for us, like, I've got time limits on all of my apps, so no more than half an hour a day, because you can just, it's not even about productivity, it's like, well, I can probably afford to go for a walk or a swim or, I don't know, just take a mental break from social stimulation or technology. Um, and and how, have great- how have you done that? How, how have you done that? What, what are you yeah. using to to give it to to have that time limit? Is it an, is yeah, it an app just, as well? <laughs> no, no, you just go into your settings um, and on Facebook, Instagram, and you just put, you know, time limits on it. So, um, and oh, really? it will either lock you out or it just gives you a prompt. So mine just gives me a prompt saying, collectively today you've been on Instagram for, you know, 28 minutes, you've got two minutes left. And it's like, cool, that's my limit. I'm I'm done. So you can you can pull it. I'm really curious on that. I'm really I'll, curious I'll only because of of business. Like the same way, I use it as a business tool. So I'm very yeah. conscious of like this. This is how I grow. What I do. This is how I actually share, inspire. Like I'm really keen on if you've got a message. Like what are you using for social media for? Are you using it to? Yeah. I believe three 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 buckets really, which is entertainment, inspiration, or education. So. Mm-hmm. If you can provide one of those three, then you can pretty much have a positive impact on someone. But yeah. when does it tip over into a detrimental spiral, like you said there? And, and you're really right about if you move, you almost cyclically hop from app to app. I've done it. Like you go, yeah, I've been on LinkedIn for 10, 15 minutes. Oh, wait, what have I missed on Instagram? Okay, whoa, whoa, what, what's what's missed my my TikTok or Twitter? Where, where What's going on? And then you, you're you an hour, two hours deep, right? But yeah. I really like that because I'm I'm pretty keen on and I do this, I've been really strict on myself recently because I think a form of unkindness I was showing to myself was I was working in periods when I should be resting to make the next step of work much better. And I think that's very mm-hmm. common for for whether you're an athlete or a, or a business owner, right? We, we feel like we constantly have to be on the go. So I've found that through restricting my time and being very, very uh, harsh, or not harsh, but disciplined on myself to say, 
if I can end here during the day, even if I know I've got a task to do, I'm going to have to move it tomorrow. But that then means that the time I'm trying to do that task, I'm zo- I don't let anything get in my way. Like I'm zooming in on it because I've created restriction. It comes from a pretty much a concept in sport, right? If you if you reduce if you increase the or, or narrow down the focus or narrow down the parameters. If I'm talking a cricket analogy, I would say like create gaps in the field, which is high risk, and it makes you zone in more on where you need to bowl the ball or where you want to hit the ball, right? So yeah. it's creating that restriction to actually focus yourself. So I'm super keen to do that because then I feel if I've got if I know I've got a time limit on my my apps, then I can I can u- utilize it much more efficiently and and get what I need to get done on that day before I start going into that that mega spiral. Yeah, I had a friend who she she took herself off uh, social media, and so I reached out and I said, um, I said, hey, like I haven't heard from you in ages. Just wanted to check in. Saw you weren't on on socials anymore and and she gave me a buzz and it was great and she said I'm completely fine I was just probably noticing the same thing I was getting stuck into a cycle she said but also what I found was that friends don't tell you anything anymore and I said what do you mean by that and she said well Mm. I found that similar to what you've done is you reached out because I'm not on social media but if I was on social media you'd expect me to see your life updates and what you've been up to and all those sorts of things without actually communicating that directly to me and I was like that's a such she's like you know because I wouldn't even learn about friends having babies I'd learn about it on Facebook um and she's like and that's such an intimate and wonderful time I I want people to ring and tell me about this and and I was like that's a really cool spin on it in that we I guess like you know apart from say you top five people in your life you might tell the exciting news to and everyone else it's just on Instagram or Facebook and that's how you're finding out about everyone's updates um I found that to be a really interesting thing. But I guess back to the question, you know, why are kids suffering so much? Um, when I went to school, we had a, you know, when I, I sound really old now um, and I am getting on, but, you know, I, when I graduated, it was in 2005 um, and that was my my final year 12 year. And um, and we had, a, I had a phone, but it was in case of an emergency um, and it had like $2 of credit on it or something like that. And it could text, but you had to like type in A three times to get to the letter C. And uh, I think it, it could text that way and it could call, obviously, and receive calls. Uh, but And it also had a game of snake on it. And that was about it, right? Um, and yeah. I, had a really, I had a really cool school life. Like I just, because I, I was so interested in sport, nothing really phased me. I was always trying to get out of school to do sport. Never bullied, anything name called, nothing like that. Um, just was involved in a lot of different things. Had a great group of mates. Um and so I had this really cool school life or school sort of journey, schooling journey. And 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 every school, I went into a school yesterday and there were kids as young as 11 that had phones, right? And so at recess and lunchtime, there's like you can't even have a no, no phone policy in, in schools now because parents crack shits. And so the kids are on their, their phones doing all this kind of stuff. And, and the more I hear, obviously I go in and talk about kindness. I don't mention the word bullying or anything like that, but a lot of, a lot of kids who are, suffering in that way will come up to me and go you know it's so tough because when I get to the school gates at nine o'clock I've got between the hours of nine and three that people are going to target me and it's for no reason than yeah. they just they can because I'm different or whatever and it breaks my heart to learn that um and how hard that would be but it's not then that it stops at three right because then they've got their devices and they're on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and WhatsApp and everything's pinging and there's so much online trolling and abuse that happens and kids are so cruel to each other uh for no real reason um and again it's it's the highlight reel we're we're just continuously 
comparing ourselves to others because what they're putting on social media, oh, they look better in that dress than I did or that kid's better at footy than I am or whatever it is and I wish I had that life and the grass isn't always greener. There's always complexities in everyone's life and um, I think social media play has played the biggest, I guess, it's had the biggest impact on on our kids' well-being, to be honest, um, and, and I think we're suffering as a result of that and as adults we can sort of step back a little bit and go, and continuously scrolling this is not healthy and all that kind of stuff but for kids that's sort of really how they they communicate these days it's it's yeah. all online and it's especially how do we expect them to be thriving when we've just kept them indoors for the last two years and they learnt via a computer screen only like through conversations like virtual conversations like this and the way that they really learnt to communicate or maybe it was further in in thought reinforced to them that this is how I'm going to communicate with my mates it's with my device and it's via all of these apps and you get them back into the schoolyard and they don't really know how to have, how to have a conversation with each other they all do it still via snapchat and and all of that kind of yeah. stuff and it, it's it's tough for them like it really is because that's their norm I'm sure you experience it and I have with working with young kids this year that it really does break my heart I, there was one moment where I I was working with this group of young young girls and the self-talk to themselves and the even the talk to each other you knew that the way they were talking to each other was not through malice it was like a conditioning it was just yeah. purely conditioned it's like I don't really mean the words that are coming out but I'm saying them because I feel this is what I need to say and I've seen and I've heard and it, yeah. it, I, it was the first time I've really almost broke down in front of them I'm, I'm giving a keynote and, I, and it's very interactive and yeah. I just, uh, I found that even through asking them things like, because I draw upon their happy memories or things that have gone well in them, their lives and um, who the person they want to be. And they're like, they just draw a blank sometimes they, because they they just so, the first thing that's just flying through their mind is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not loved enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not this, that, the other. Yeah. And then you have to remind them. Like, I, I love a quote that people don't need teaching. They just need reminding. Because I think genuinely kindness is a almost inbuilt trait for us. Look at how many viral videos there are of two young toddlers like hugging each other, kissing each yeah. other, and just playing. And it's like that they're not evil; they're just pure happy. They're loved. They're they're joyous. So I think there's just this: the world gets in our way along the way, and it hides it and it blurs it from who yeah. we really want to be. And yeah. it just you just need reminding. You just constantly need reminding. So. What are, what are some of the ways in which you t you teach people through? I know you have the twelve elements or chapters of of kindness, and we won't go into those because one we don't have time. And I I, I want to ask this question of what are some of the things that through especially hard times that we've got we've gone through, and even we'd say if someone's talking negatively to themselves and being unkind, what are sort of your go tos, real easy ways of people finding kindness? I know that's a, maybe a broad question, but what would be one of yeah. your go-tos that you're like, this is something you can easily do that you can start that journey of being kind? Yeah, I'd say, you know, compassion and empathy are the big ones there. But I've already sort of, you know, a lot of the question I always give to, especially youth, you know, girls and boys, like I say to girls, you know, if you had a, a friend going through a struggle that you are right now, what what's the advice that you give them? What would you tell them? Yeah. And 100% of the time they say, I'd tell them, that they deserve better or that they are they are beautiful or that they are smart or that they are, do you know what I mean? And they are enough. And mm. as soon as you put that friend contacts in that, like, how would you talk to your friend? What advice would you give this person? And it's like, well, this is, and it's like, well, 
there's your answer, right? And it's the same for boys. It's, if your mate come to you and he was he'd suffered this thing or this had happened, what, like what are you telling him? Would what are you saying to him? Would you support him? Of course I would. Why? Because he deserves it, and because he like he isn't that way, and he's just being really tough on himself and all that kind of stuff. And I think that again, that self reflection and that self acceptance that um, we are all so different, and we all deserve to be celebrated regardless of background and. And all, uh, it's super interesting, similar to what you said, you know, you see the three-year-olds hugging on, like no one was ever born to hate. Like, you know, I saw one that went viral and it's a, a white boy and a black boy standing next to each other and they got the same haircut. And yeah, I think the I've black yeah. the haircut, yeah, and, and the, the the white boy's mum said, what haircut do you want? He's like, I want to be like, he's like, yes. And she's like, what? And she's like, well, now everyone, you know, everyone says that we're twins, but we actually are now, we're identical because they had this haircut. They don't see skin colour or they don't care about your religious beliefs or they're just two human beings that find comfort and strength and, and companionship um, with each other and it's such a wonderful thing. So, we're, like, where's it all starting to go wrong for us? Like, what's the influence that, that is starting to creep in and it was super interesting um I, I'm, I'm a very proud auntie like whenever I'm not doing something I, I love spending time with my nephews and my niece and and my kind of my my mates kids and stuff like that and it's super interesting it's almost like you see this little switch in them and and because I guess I'm a little bit more removed not being a parent of them um you sort of get you know they, they they're born and then it's all like giggly and all that kind of stuff through toddlers and three-year-olds love playing and doing all that kind of stuff and again no one's more important than anyone else and there's no status or anything like that and I think it's when it gets to the schoolyard when their, their brains start to evolve a little bit more and they're absorbing the information that potentially their parents are giving them and or you know whoever and and again like no one's perfect like all of our experiences are shaped as we go and so if a, a parent suffered traumatic experiences their outlook's going to be shifted um and they're going to instill that on their kids and I'll, I'll never forget it when I was in my heavily avoidant stage of of trying to process grief and loss and and, and not necessarily just through the grief of my partner but like you know the grieving of my career or my injuries and things like that and um it's a sort of a, a great little kind of exercise to, to to go through. Like when I was in highly avoidant states, I remember the psychologist trying to bring me on the journey would say to me, if you don't figure this out, like, do you want to be a mom? Do you want to be, you know, even a great auntie? And it's like, of course I do. I'd pride myself on that. And I would love to be a mom one day. It's not in my immediate future, but I would love that. And she's like, if you don't deal with your trauma now, you're going to pass it on to your kid or you're going to pass it on to your nephew. So if it was your child genetically, if I was to give birth, they won't ever be able to process my trauma because it'll pass on through DNA and they can't actually make sense of it. I can because I lived through it and it's up to me to process that. But if I was to give birth to a child genetically with unprocessed trauma, they'll often be going, why do I feel so anxious? Why do I feel like I've got unresolved stuff going on? They can't ever figure it out. And how could you ever expect them to process it if they didn't? live through it or you know see it or whatever um and and that's why there's so much vicarious trauma in indigenous communities and things like that and the poor things are so you know their minds are completely um you know in stress for the most part of their life because they don't know how to process the things that they've gone through and I think the same can be said for, for any kind of mentorship that we have with children if we're sort of passing on our experiences and our hate of the world or the situation or the environment or whatever they're going to feel that um, as well. So not necessarily genetically, but, you know, if I want to be the best auntie that I can be to my, 
you know, godchildren or my my genetic nephews and niece, um, then I want to be the, the best version of myself and present that to them so that I'm instilling my values on them as well. And they're seeing an adult play out kindness and gratitude and and compassion and all these sorts of things as well. So that that was a, a profound moment where I probably started to delve a bit deeper into myself and go, I want to do the work here, if not for myself and for my future. And that that doesn't necessarily have, that have to be a mom if that didn't happen. But, um, you know, for all of the people in my life, my friends, my family, um, I want to always show up as the best version of myself. And, and I can't do that with, with unresolved things going on. So it really shifted me into that next gear for sure. Jordan Peterson talks about being in treating yourself like you're someone you're responsible for and I think that's just the the best way and and Ethan Cross uh psychologist he talks about uh in a chatter and reframing yourself talk from a third person point of view so talking to yourself as if you're coaching yourself and it has a profound impact on how we do things and that's what you're talking about but the importance of if you are a leader, if you are a parent, if you are a friend, if you are essentially responsible for someone, which in some way, shape or form, we all are, yeah. then tr- it's important. And you have a responsibility that giving that kindness, it rubs off or giving the unkindness, it rubs off. And ultimately, how would you want to to receive it in your life? That's that's super important. I, I totally yeah. agree. Look, I'm very conscious of time and I don't want to re- leave you. Um, You've got somewhere to be. So. And we could go on for another hour. Like I'd love to get you back in the future yeah, if you ever have time. But I'm just interested to ask you this question of how do you now show kindness to yourself? What is your way that you love showing kindness to yourself? You mentioned like getting your favorite coffee or something like that. But what is it yeah. that you do? Uh, I do love coffee, so I always try and get my favourite coffee when I'm home. Um, I love bike riding still, so I, um, you know, tomorrow is my first day off in a month, which is that's not very kind, but um, yes. just nature of the beast so I'll, I'll be able to make up for that very soon uh so tomorrow i'm going to go for a big bike ride but for me uh the best form of kindness is to be around the people that i care about the most so as i said i'm a really proud auntie uh and i love my mates um so because i have such a you know exciting kind of career i guess where i'm you know meeting lots of new people all the time and interacting and doing all that i guess my the way that I recharge is just by, you know, being with the people that I care about the most. And and we don't do anything too adventurous, just having a coffee or um, having them around for dinner or just connecting really with the people that I have a deep connection with. And and that's that's my way of doing it for sure. Nothing extravagant. Don't need the holidays. Don't need any of that. I just need just need my people. And, and giving kindness as well. It's it's like a form of being, it's not selfish because it makes you feel good. Like give I've, whenever you do that and and leading on to where people can find you, the Kindness Factory, being online, you can log an act of kindness. And I think you're, where are you at now? Last time I checked, you're way over 4 million. Yeah, about 4.2, I think, last time I checked. So I've got a team now that sort of look after that. So originally, yeah, we just wanted to reach a million acts. I had a great job in sport and um, it sort of catapulted off through life experiences and, you know, additional adversities that came after that. And then obviously speaking on stages around the world in front of really cool people. So it's now, um, I guess, that you know, the, the kindness log is 4.2 million people that have logged an act. Um, but I think That's the most incredible. important is our, our curriculum where we can get in front of as many school kids as possible and teach the the 12 building blocks to, to one, more kindness, but two, it's well-being and resilience as well, um, sort of all mashed together. Um, so we're hoping that we start to see, you know, better mental health outcomes for kids. And, you know, when we're in a kind and safe enough environment, we probably – 
allow our brains to absorb more information. So better academic outcomes as well as that. Um, but then obviously, of course, more kindness in the world as well. So kindness to self and, and kindness to others as well. But um, yeah, we've we've got some good programs actually in the university pathways in the UK. So we've got a presence there through Kaplan, who are our education partner. So doing a lot of work with uh, Victoria Wilson Crane out of um, out of the UK, and she's been a really incredible person to have um, in the in the lineup um, that we have at Kindness Factory, but um, based out of the UK and 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 starting to infiltrate that university system as well, which has been nice. I'm going to leave links in the show notes where people can go find out more. I know there's free resources for people to access and just get to know more. It's well worth diving into, but I'm I'm so grateful for your time today, Cal. I'm so glad we got to do this. This has been one of my favorite podcasts and I, and I wish I had you for another two, three hours and I, I'd love to get you back in the future because there's so much more we could dive into because this subject is just so important. It's just so, so important. And I think in sport, life, business, wherever you're at, that this being able to do this now in this period of time is more important than ever because we have been so hard on ourselves. We're so judgmental. We're so tough on ourselves. And you're doing doing a great job. Just please don't stop. Don't stop. That's all we've got for you. Don't don't, don't slow much. down. Thank you very much. It's been great to meet you. And uh, absolutely, I'd love to come back for sure. All right, brilliant. Thank you so much, Kath. See ya.